This episode of The Explainer is supported by daft.ie. Are you buying or selling a home? If it's for sale, it's on daft.ie, Ireland's number one property website. Welcome to the journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Laura Byrne, and this week, what's really on the new SPHE curriculum? Well, after much consultation, discussion and controversy, the government is about to implement changes to the Social, Personal and Health Education, or SBAG, curriculum for secondary schools. Now, SBAG is a relatively new subject. It's been around for a couple of decades. The curriculum aims to build the skills of students and help them care for themselves and others. But it also addresses moral, physical, social and emotional issues around relationships, sex and sexuality. Some criticism has arisen from various quarters in response to a revised Relationships and Sexuality Education section, which was a key driver for updating the SPHE in the first place. So today we're looking at what this SPHE change looks like, how it will be taught and what the changes mean for students, parents and teachers. And to help us do this, we're joined by teacher Owen Cleary, who's written about this for us here at The Journal. Owen is a secondary school teacher, assistant principal and SPHE and wellbeing coordinator. Owen, you're very welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Laura. So Owen, just firstly, for our listeners, what is it like to teach SPHE? Who is taught it firstly and how many hours a week are we looking at? Uh, so the programme that we're talking about at the moment is the Junior Cycle Programme. Um, it's rolled out for first, second and third years. So that's students from the age of 12 to 15. And it's taught for one hour a week. So across the school year, that builds up to about 33 hours or across the junior cycle, it builds up to just under 100 hours over their three years of schooling. Uh, what's it like to teach it? It's great. Although there is lots of information being passed, it doesn't have the same academic focus as other subjects would have. It's more about creating a space for the students to become aware of their development in different areas of their life, to discuss it with each other and then to reflect on it and, and how the things they've discussed apply to their own lives and their own developing personalities. And I think when some of our listeners hear the term SBHE, they think sex education, but it isn't just about sex. There is a lot covered here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so it stands for social personal health education uh, is what SBHE is. And it covers a, a whole range of topics from, I mean, just to talk about that one hour a week over three years, that, that builds up to kind of 99 classes that we give and 99 topics that it covers. But just to give a flavour of them, it would look at things like communication and listening skills, self-esteem, self-image, self-identity, stereotypes when it comes to gender, uh, factors affecting young people when making healthy choices, addictive substances or behaviours, engaging safely and responsibly online, healthy and unhealthy relationships, consent, sexual orientation, how to manage uh, your emotions or cope to -to day-to-day stresses, uh, bullying, uh, and how to find trustworthy information and supports and services online with regard to all of those things. Which sounds really nice and broad because let's be honest, young kids that age are coming into a time on the planet when there's a lot going on and there's a lot to take in. So It's not very many hours in their lives, but it's something that is quite new, really, to the curriculum in Ireland. Well, I suppose SBHE was always there. Well, sorry, when I say always there, certainly when I was in school, there was a form of it that we were taught. It was called civics. Um, and it was kind of a mashup of lots of different parts of life. In 2000, uh, there was they developed the original SPHE program. Um, so it has been there since 2000. And, and most of the pillars of it are still the same. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, 
students today compared to students compared to me when I was in secondary school, which is when when I did my junior cert, that's when the the first curriculum SPHE curriculum came in. I mean, they're living in an, an entirely different experience of life than I did when I was a teenager. I have to agree. I was the same. I mean, when you even mentioned sex education, the the only sex education I had was probably 10 minutes with a nun, a very (laughs) awkward 10 minutes. So I'm coming from a completely different perspective. You're saying that it's different ages. Does the curriculum apply differently to the first years as it does, let's say, to the third years? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, there are different strands to the program now, uh, the four strands. And, and it's important to say this isn't like groups of chapters. These strands kind of inform the whole teaching of every every course or class that you give. Um, but there's an understanding myself and other strand, making healthy choices, relationships and sexuality and then emotional well-being. But certainly in first year, you'd be focusing very much on the foundational strand, which is understanding myself and others. And then the other three strands would kind of be built on after that. So as you say, Owen, it's been around for a while, but there are some significant changes to the syllabus that we're hearing about. How significant are those changes and is it already in use or is it due to come in shortly? It's more like being updated um, for a more modern student. The the older syllabus was found to be irrelevant and that was what students were feeding back about it. And certainly teachers were finding they couldn't engage the students in the teaching of it because of how irrelevant the students found it. Um, so it's just more modern. It's more relevant to them. And actually, it's more age appropriate because the stuff that they're dealing with now in life much earlier than we would have had to deal with it we can now engage them around that in the classroom and make sure they have the supports uh, in place or that they know where to get supports for, for if they are experiencing anything that they need help with. I would imagine that maybe this sense of it being irrelevant probably feeds into the great disruption that technology has been along the way. Absolutely. Uh, when the course was developed in 2000, first of all, the first SBAG course, the internet was only arriving in Ireland. Do you know, I, we had a family computer. Uh, nobody had a smartphone. I didn't get a smartphone until I was 27. So uh, the course was, you know, totally the skills that we needed to deliver to our students and that thankfully we are able to deliver to our students now. You know, they're the skills that uh, they need to be able to cope with the not just the online world that they're now all living in, but also how that online world affects the decisions that they're making in their in their. I don't want to say real life because to them, the online world is real life, but in their physical, emotional, social lives as well. It's it when you say that it's true, isn't it? So many young people now have no concept of what life was like before this technology. So it's a whole new world. And obviously the department had to bring the curriculum up to speed. So what type of consultation process then did this go through to get to this? What feedback did teachers have? It's actually the most extensive consultation process that the Department of Education has has ever gone through with regards to any curriculum, which is great. And I suppose the reason for that, I'm sorry, I'm not speaking for the Department of Education, but I imagine the reason for that is because this it's it's the course that teaches you about life. And to know what the students needed, the department had to go and engage with students and teachers and parents. So they started working on I actually I don't know officially when they started working on it, but certainly the first paper that was published on the plans to start changing was in 2019. Uh, you can view that online. There's another one uh, in 2021, I think. And then the, there was a dra- uh, consultation process whereby uh, there was surveys, there was focus groups with teachers and students and parents. There was an online submission and then there was a space where any organization who had an interest in what they felt needed to be taught. We were encouraged to make submissions. Certainly I was involved in in helping to make submissions, for example, with the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre who were very uh, invested in providing support in terms of the uh, need to look at consent and things like that in, in relationships. 
So a huge effort behind this new curriculum. And what are the main aims then of this new course? The aims are so vast, but but overall, I guess it's it's to provide young people with the skills that they now need to manage their personal health, their social development, their positive sexual development, their emotional well-being and their decision making when it comes to all of these areas of life, uh, depending on what age they are. So before we get on to sexual education, Owen, which actually only forms a small part of the course, let's quickly touch on the other areas. So understanding myself and others. Yeah, so that that's like I said earlier, that's kind of the foundational um, strand for the program. And although we do go back and I should say everything in SBHE, it's built on this spiral approach. So you don't just hit one topic and then it's done. You keep coming back to it and referring to it and building on the students learning. So you're trying to build their skills as they go through the, the cycle. Um, but certainly in strand one, which, which would uh, make up a lot of the first year content would be things like self-awareness and self-esteem, how to communicate and negotiate like how to make friends, how to uh, navigate friendship groups, uh, how to listen to each other, how to show empathy, identifying their values and strengths, other people's values and strengths, showing empathy empathy to other people, uh, respecting difference, and then how to self-manage and self-regulate when it comes to certainly emotional well-being. Which I suppose to adults like ourselves, you hear this and you think, well, this is not something that happens automatically. But like you say, the a lot of these young people are living in an online world. They're dealing with online apps and this is how they, you know, their, their relationships develop maybe a little differently to how we would have understood it. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, we don't have enough time to go into how I feel about all of that. <laughs> uh, I have very strong views on young people and their use of on their use of uh, smartphones. And and I suppose what I would say is as as parents, we, we've got to st- and teachers and adults, we've got to stop thinking about it in terms of giving our young people access to the Internet. We have to start remembering uh, realizing that it's giving the entire internet world access to our young people. And in Ireland, that now, according to the latest um, CyberSafe Ireland report, that's 98% of 8 to 12 year olds. So we're, we are currently in Ireland giving the entire online world uh, access to 98% of our 8 to 12 year olds. And that's before they even come into me in first year in a classroom. So, you know, there's. And like I said, we only have an hour a week to try and kind of unpack a lot of the stuff that they might have learned online, not from their parents, not from their peers, not from their community. And I suppose that brings us neatly to another strand that comes into play with the SPHG, which is making healthy choices. So... That's an interesting one. Yeah, so we would look at some decision making, certainly in first year and some issues that uh, certainly around the use of uh, online devices that young people need to uh, certainly reflect on how to make considered choices and, and the consequences of some of the choices they might make with their certainly with the sharing of, let's say, their personal image uh, or things they might say online. But. Uh, we build on that then as you go into the, the second and third year um, with practices that support health and well-being. Uh, we look at obstacles that might make it harder to look after your mental uh, well-being, how to access reliable information about how to look after yourself, the practical skills that are needed for making healthy decisions and how to explore pressures that might impact these decisions from family or peers or media social pressures. And this would include things like um, substance abuse or, you know, uh, unhealthy friendships or unhealthy relationships, things like that. So emotional well-being then forms another area of this course. Yeah, something that we're certainly trying to bring in as much as we can at the moment is this um, concept. I know uh, uh, the charity Aware work an awful lot with is the idea of your thoughts impacting your feelings and your feelings impacting your actions and how we can 
like that our thoughts aren't actually facts and that if we go back and make sure that the thing that I'm thinking is really serving my best interests, then that in turn will serve how I feel and that in turn will serve how I act and, and they all um, interweave and serve each other. They're all interdependent and serve each other. But if you can kind of catch the thought early on that then that can feed into just improving your general experience of life. And that's something that certainly I remember when I came across this course first, I taught myself and I've used it in my own life because it was never taught to me to kind of look at how my thoughts impact my feelings and my feelings impact my actions and and to kind of reverse and try and grab my thought before it before it ends up affecting me or impacting me in a negative way or in a way that doesn't serve me. Which is great. And yeah, I think we could all do with those little uh, tips along the way. And if we do then move to the point that people have a lot of opinions on when it comes to SPHG, which is the relationships and sexuality section. Yeah. One thing that struck me was the prominence given to respect and being able to, quote, identify signs of healthy, unhealthy and abusive relationships. So what form will this take? They will look at things that they feel make a healthy relationship um, what they need to have in place. And then I suppose the not just the absence of those things, but what red flags might come up to suggest like how an unhealthy relationship might make them feel. And then we would look at what an abusive relationship might look like and the legal supports that are there for them um, to be able to, f- to to find support. And certainly in the rolling out of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre programme, that has facilitated a lot of students uh, seeking support, either from teachers or uh, through teachers uh, to external supports that they need to support them in relationships that they feel they needed help uh, navigating or getting themselves out of. That to me, coming from the perspective of, let's say, my own generation, that seems so progressive and and even introducing the language around this and the understanding. And and it just seems to give the sense of empowerment that wasn't there maybe 20, 30 years ago. A lot of my friends get upset when they hear how progressive it's become because they are things that if they were afforded when they were in school, they would not have had some of the negative sexual experiences that so many, you know, almost everyone I know has had a negative sexual experience growing up. And it's really empowering, not just I mean, the students haven't which is amazing, uh, or almost all of them, thankfully, haven't yet, which is amazing. But as a teacher, it's really empowering to be able to know that that's the space that we're providing and hopefully the skills that we're providing for students that might end up being a generation that that doesn't have negative sexual experiences uh, as they grow up. Yeah, only, I mean, you, you touched on the word consent earlier and I remember thinking a friend of mine said recently we didn't even know what that meant when we were in teenagers. I mean, consent obviously features here and, and a discussion around it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, consent is a big part. And again, it comes down to what the teacher wants to do with the time that they've got. But certainly in the textbook we're working on, we I've developed an entire chapter on consent. Like when the program was developed initially, the the original program in 2000, like you said, we didn't know what the word consent was. I don't think consent was a social con- like concept at that time. And to say as well, it's really important when we're talking about consent. Like I said, some topics we do, you know, dedicate a chapter to or dedicate a class to. But these are all of the things that you read in the curriculum. They're all about informing the the whole program. So consent doesn't just come in uh, with regards to sexual development or sexual negotiation or sexual relationship, uh, sexual relationships. Consent um, is taught with regards to any healthy relationship. So 
you have to consent uh, for any positive uh, relationship to exist in your life. And I suppose that would come into when we look at any kind of relationship being unhealthy um, and how to recognize that if there isn't consent in a friendship, for example, um, that's a red flag immediately that friendship might not be serving you. Daft.ie is the preferred site for anyone buying or selling a home in Ireland. Whether you're taking the first steps or planning your next move, make sure you're on daft.ie the best place to buy or sell your home in Ireland. So there also seems to be a lot of emphasis on, on personal values and views here with SBHE, as in being encouraged to make up your own mind. Yeah, absolutely. So when we, t- so the, the, the core way that SBHE is taught, every single topic in SBHE is taught, is it's, it's a three-pronged uh, approach. Bringing awareness to the students, so giving them the information and and letting them know, I suppose, what exists around the topic, getting them to discuss it so that it's relevant to them. It's not just the teacher telling them what what's real or what's not. So it's what's relevant to them and they get to discuss it, obviously guided by their teacher in the classroom. And then that they get to reflect on that and how it applies to their own life. So it's never the teacher saying this is what is the, the case for everybody. This is what you have to do, which. I have to say, was a lot of the teaching I got growing up. But we're moving away from that now to allow the students to reflect on how this applies to them in their lives and their family and their religion and their group of friends um, so that they can create their own very strong sense of self-identity and self-image and and, and build their self-esteem on that. Now, there are also more controversial elements, it has to be said. Yeah. And although, look, let's look at the actual facts here. Children are encountering pornography younger and younger. So what does the course say about that? So you're right. Children are encountering pornography at a very young age. Um, the uh, Certainly some as young as eight. Uh, the, the research shows generally that as soon as you hand a child a smartphone, it isn't long until, or sorry, not even a smartphone, a device that's linked to the internet. It isn't long until the internet manages to expose them to porn. It's not that they go looking for it. It's that the internet uh, goes looking for them. And in that regard, the course just acknowledges that certainly by the age of 15, when a child is in third year, the statistics show us that the majority have been exposed to pornographic content. And it's really important that a space is created for them to be able to at least acknowledge uh, that how it made them feel um, that it is not a, it is not a real representation of what a positive sexual encounter can look like. And to be really critical of what they're seeing. And I suppose to say again, those those skills of being critical of what they're seeing online, it, it isn't just being applied to pornography. We teach the critical skills in relation to anything they're seeing online. So anything that makes them feel uncomfortable, say in first year, which when we wouldn't mention pornography, um, even though a lot of them have been exposed to it in first year, we would teach them it around, you know, uh, stuff that they're seeing online, what it might be selling them, what it might be making them assume is expected of them because of their race or their gender or where they live or the age that they're at, what it might be, what products it might be selling them, just so there isn't a critical awareness of everything that they're seeing online so that when they do get exposed to pornography, Hopefully they already have a critical approach to say, well, hang on a second. Is this real? Is it uh, serving my best interests? How does it make me feel? You know, should I be wary of of what's what I'm being bombarded with at the moment? Just to be clear for the parents who are concerned out there, and it's easy to 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 almost panic and say, well, I don't want my child exposed to this stuff. Um, as you make the point, sometimes it's unavoidable that it's just there and there's access to it and that's the way it goes. So it's not 
what people are making it out to be when it comes to SPHE. It's not encouraging it or there's no viewing of it. It's bringing it out into the open. Yeah, absolutely. And so first of all, the feedback from students, from older students that we've done programs like this with is that the relief is huge. They absolutely need to talk about this stuff so that they can become critical about it. And we need to teach it younger, which is why it's it's being brought into this program. Just like uh, drugs and alcohol and other substances that are dangerous and have risks associated them that we know not all children are using, but we know all children may be exposed to and there are dangers to it, we also address pornography. Pornography will never ever be shown in a classroom to students that is illegal. Uh, It would be illegal for any teacher to do that. But we need to create a space whereby if they've seen it, and even if they haven't, if even if they're in the tiny percentage of students who haven't seen it, it's important to acknowledge that they live in a world where a lot of students are what we've seen in the research is that a lot of students are basing what they assume is expected of them in a sexual encounter on what they're seeing in porn. And it's really important for everybody to realise that that's out there and that's that's not what's expected of them and that's not what they have to do. And it's certainly not how you develop a healthy sexual relationship with somebody. Yeah, I suppose many people might say it's not a reality we'd like to embrace, but it is a ra- reality we have to face. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you know... The, the term age appropriate is being thrown around a lot at the moment and the course is absolutely age appropriate to the students that are in the room. But if we're handing 98% of our 8 to 12 year olds a device that gives the online world unfettered access to them, they are being exposed to incredibly age inappropriate content and we have to in an age appropriate way try to give them the skills that they need to deal with the inappropriate content that they're, they're being exposed to. Now, there's a lot of talk about what this curriculum will say about gender and gender affirmation. Is it a big part of it? No, it's this has been totally blown out of all proportion and all context. It appears in two learning objectives. And what has happened is, and and actually just for people's information, the the SPHE course was developed as a short course in 2016. And the term gender identity was in that program in 2016, the way it is now in this current program. Um, so that hasn't changed and it's just been latched onto, but it has just replaced the term gender. So instead of the term gender, it's now called gender identity. And it's just to allow the very, very tiny, less than 0.04% of the population who experience g- their experience of gender not aligning with their sex. If they happen to be sitting in your classroom, it's so important that they feel that they're seen and they're recognized. It doesn't impact anybody else in the room but it really impacts them and and creates a space whereby they know they can support they can seek the support that they need to discuss the experience that they're going through. So on this is coming down the tracks and this is uh, welcomed by a lot of people but there are parents maybe who don't want their children to be taught about this stuff it might conflict with their views for various different reasons can they opt out? Yeah, so uh, parents under the Education Act, parents are the primary educator of their child and you can remove your child from any class that you don't want them to be sitting in. Uh, however, I th- I'm almost sure there is an onus then on the parent to make sure that they're covering the, the curriculum in a manner that they're happy to deliver to their child in, in, pre- in, in the space of what would be delivered by the teacher. So when will the changes now be brought in? What are we looking at timeline wise? So uh, for first years, it started. The first years are in their fifth week uh, of the new curriculum. Some of the first year books uh, have been published already. Some are coming out in um, 
this January and March, ready for next year. This current cohort of first years, they will move on to get the second year program in second year next September, and then they'll be the first to get the third year program the following September. Finally, Owen, why do you think there's just so much misinformation around this? There are certain very small, very loud groups in Ireland who've realised that uh, fear builds support like nothing else and and fear about our children builds support for these groups rapidly, particularly when there's a lack of awareness or understanding because our own education wasn't as involved or as relevant to the li- our lives as we needed to, it to be. But the information is out there and certainly I've engaged with a lot of these groups uh, in big, at big events or, or in small individual people that I know through my own life and anyone I've spoken to about it, as soon as they hear what's actually on the course, like we've discussed today, they realise that actually it's brilliant and they wish they'd had it themselves. And yeah, I, I miss there's nothing that, that frustrates me more than misinformation because for somebody who cares an awful lot about their students, I would hate if I was sitting in that classroom and was removed from it. I would hate to think that it's, that I wouldn't get the skills because I didn't get the skills that I should have when I was in school to deal with the life that I have had to lead from then till now. The education system, the, certainly the SPHE programme, was not adequate enough. It is now finally relevant and finally providing the skills that students need to support themselves and make the decisions to, to, to make healthy choices for that will really serve them in life. And I would hate to think that because of m- information that isn't true, a child would be robbed of that. That upsets me. Well, all I can say is we've come a long way from the poor nun who spoke to my class for 10 minutes. I wonder what she'd make of it all now. Look, thanks so much, Owen, for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Laura. This episode of The Explainer was supported by daft.ie. With the largest number of properties for sale in Ireland and being the number one preferred site among buyers and sellers, daft.ie is the best place to buy or sell your home. Thanks again to Owen Cleary for joining us today. You've been listening to the Explainer podcast by thejournal.ie. This episode was brought to you by senior producer Nikki Ryan and executive producer Sinead O'Carroll. If you'd like to support all the work we do here, head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to make a one-off donation or become a monthly subscriber. And of course, you can always leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.